we're actually here to do two things. The first is to raise awareness about the vital importance of using a good moisturizer. <laughs> Andy has been wearing one every day for the last 29 years. I've never used one in my life. Still stunning, uh, basically a scrotum. Oscar's a fun event for you. No. <laughs> uh, I honestly I like sat down to make those graphics and I went, I managed to turn this into work. <laughs> like <laughs> shit. Um, this is now a stressful event. Were you stressed the whole time? Pretty much. Why? First of all, I made a lot of my predictions out of a place of cynicism and I didn't want to be correct. But the Oscars did Oscar upon me, and I was, uh, I guessed pretty well for how they were going to play their game. Yeah. You said which is always disappointing. I don't want them to necessarily do what I said. Like, I, <laughs> I don't play who I believe should win the most. Yeah. I play who do the Oscars believe should win the most, and by extension, who is going to win the most. Yeah. Was there, like, an award that was more disappointing uh, over another than you? Or just, like, the fact that you, you kind of called pretty... You called a pretty good deal of it more than me. I can definitely say that. Well, the one thing I'll say, and this is going to sound really mean, is, like, All's Quiet on the Western Front was such a, like, fucking clusterfuck. <laughs> and it's, like, not... It's not it. It's fine. Yeah. But it is... Not remarkable in a way that I think was deserving of the praise that it got. And when it won score, which the score of that movie was so bad and so intrusive that it made me shut the movie off. <laughs> I damn near flipped my coffee table. Hilarious. I mean, I, I didn't see anyone happy about them winning any awards. So, but yeah, I, well, I only so every every couple of years, right? They're like. Oh, well, the best animated category is actually just an excuse for Disney and Pixar to throw all their money at the Academy and bleh, they're big for your consideration campaigns. Bleh, like people don't even watch the movies. It's just no brainer. Kind of feel like Netflix did that this year. Kind of feel like <laughs> Netflix is the new Disney now in that regard. Because Netflix but won best animated. They won all of the best foreign film or best like technical awards they could win without stepping on everything everywhere all at once is toes. Yeah. I, I would also say that I am mad on Angela Bassett's behalf. Okay. Now I know that a lot of her of Jamie Lee Curtis winning is more them apologizing for ignoring her for her entire career than it necessarily is like the 15 minutes of everything everywhere all at once that you were in was so revolutionary and perfect that like, whatever, like she is wonderful in that movie. I have no illusions about that at all. Right. Like she's great. But like if Angela Bassett phoned in a singular moment of black Panther two, that movie collapses. Yeah. She is the only reason really. And I feel comfortable saying this, that the movie works. Oh yeah. I, I, I feel comfortable in agreeing with that as well. Yeah. And her performance is a revelation, and I frankly feel that she probably also deserves some acknowledgement for not ever being acknowledged by the Oscars. Yeah. And I think it's really unfortunate that two people who have routinely been maligned by the Academy happened to line up in the same year. I think when we look back at this award, it's going to be on a level of Green Book winning Best Picture. I think the moment it happened... Everyone knew that it was not the it was not the quote unquote right choice. Uh, my timeline was kind of split between her and, and Stephanie Sue winning, but I really thought she was gonna get it, man. And whenever Jamie won the SAG, the the tide shifted and she took uh, and Angela took the L, which is 
really heartbreaking. Well, I, I think that the Jamie Lee Curtis win is a, hey, girl, I'm so sorry we never, like, said hi to you before win. And those happen in Oscars a lot because the Oscars are bad at predicting who's going to be relevant later. <laughs> yes, just a bit. And if that's what you use the Oscars for, that's kind of bullshit. And I honestly was really considering putting down Jamie Lee Curtis because I thought that there was a non-zero chance that she was going to win for, like, basically this is her Lifetime Achievement Award, right? Yeah. Like, she's a she's a badass producer. She is a woman who has done so much positive press for the Oscars this year. Yeah. She has done so much positive press for movies this year. The movies. And I kind of get that she more won for her service to the movies than she did for actually acting well. And like, she does act well. It's a great performance. I am not trying to doubt that at all. She won for selling her movie more than she was, (laughs) more than she performed in the actual movie. Not only did she sell the movie, but like she sold cinema in a way that Tom Cruise kind of wished he could. Yeah. And like he did in some ways, right? Like I think a lot of people went back to the theaters to see Top Gun Maverick, myself being one of them. But like she it, got this like weird indie darling plane off the ground. Yeah, like Tom in January of last year, which was like crazy COVID times. I think it is one of the 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 biggest, if not the biggest, independently produced film of all time at this point. It have to be. And Tom he was so forceful about Top Gun Maverick that he championed the movie and then that, you know, as Steven Spielberg said, save movies. But Jay But now movies are in trouble again because there is no Top Gun Maverick. Like, I know. But Jamie Lee, her even with this, and you think about also the the Halloween movie that we we shall not mention, her her I will her, say exquisitely produced film. Yeah, her her tenacity is what won her the Oscars. Yes. I wish that it was Angela Bassett. And also, everybody who's fucking policing Angela Bassett's, like, lack of facial expression. Yeah, that's, that's just... Fuck that's just, off! That's just people wanting to serve whiteness. That's all that is. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, but also, her face, before the envelope is called, is also like that. Yeah. She she, it's not, it's not like she went, hmm, or like stood up and yelled fuck the oscars like she just continued to like have neutral face she did not need to sell the clapping everyone else around her did it so but also we saw her for like 15 seconds not even like a 15th of a second feels more accurate for all we know she did applaud after it cut away from her we just don't know because we didn't see that much so leave her the fuck alone yeah, I don't care if like, she clapped. Like, fucking black women go through enough, especially in Hollywood. Leave her alone. She's got some shit to deal with. In a way, people's reactions to this kind of reminded me of, like, remember the Oscars where it really seemed like they were going to give best supporting to Chadwick Boseman? And then they gave it to, to what's his Anthony name? Anthony Hopkins. Who, like, I've since seen that movie, and he gave a really good performance, and I feel like he kind of deserved it. But then, like the internet went off and was like, well, Chadwick Boseman deserved it more because like he died. And like, it just became this whole, like, that's not really what we're measuring here debate. Right. This is kind of the same thing. This is a, okay. I get that. She like contributed a lot to films at this year and that she has been a huge advocate for the Oscars in a year that the Oscars really needs needed somebody universally liked to help get their messaging out. And I love Jamie Lee. I think she gave an amazing performance. I really do. I am not trying to put that down at all. She is a bright spot in every movie she's in. And yes, I am including Christmas with the Cranks, that god-awful fucking movie. Um, (laughs) Hilarious. This was a really tough year for them to make that call. Yeah, but, I mean, even still, it's like, she, (laughs) she, like, it sounds so simple, but... She literally just asked for the award, and they were like, you know what? Let's go ahead and give it to her. Well, I feel like they were like, well, we did kind of um, fuck up not giving it to you all these other times. 
But when, though, when in the past would she have qualified for that award? I mean, though? she won the Golden Globe for True Lies. <laughs> I, I'm a True Lies truther. And you could... <laughs> Can you tell me why that movie is not fucking available anywhere, by the way? Like, why did, why did they disappear True Lies? Is it because the Academy knew they fucked up and probably should have given the Oscar to Jamie Lee, so they wanted to make sure no one would ever see it ever again? Because it kind of feels that way. I was going to say it's probably Islamophobia. <laughs> but nah, that is not an Oscar-worthy movie. A movie can be not Oscar-worthy and still have award-worthy stuff in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that that wouldn't have been it though, Kat. That 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 would not have been it. I mean, listen, she was nominated for a a ton of performance awards for that movie. She wasn't even nominated for an Oscar for it. Not saying it necessarily should have won, but I am saying that she should have had a few more nominations in her belt at this point. They would have been less likely to guilt to give it to her had she been nominated at any other point. And you said it was a 94? Um, I believe it would have been for the 95 Oscars, reflecting back on 94. Diane West Bullis over Broadway, who won. Rosemary Harris and Tom and Viv, no clue. Uh, Helen Mirren, The Madness of King George. Uma Thurman, Pulp Fiction, Jennifer Tilly, Bullis over Broadway. So, you know, God bless Rosemary, but I, I think we could have slotted in. Jamie Lee in that spot so I think you have a point Kat you have a point yeah and I'm again I'm not trying to say that she doesn't deserve it because she does I just feel that it's not impossible that other people deserve it I won't even say more uh, but just differently one thing I don't like about Oscars and stuff like this right is like what should be a celebration of beautiful and diverse performances of women in cinema is narrowed down to like who won and why, like, politicking-wise, right? At the end of the day, three of the, the best actress and best supporting were from the same movie, which is huge. That not only says about the performances, that says about the writing, that says about the choreography, like, that says so much about, first of all, just the t- stories that are being told now. Yeah. That's amazing. We have actually kind of diverse categories for some of them this year. That's great. And then the wind is taken out of the sails immediately by, well, the old nice white lady who's also definitely like a Nepo baby did win it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is the jig. Like, this is a historic movie and historic night, and it's going to have an asterisk for that one award. Yeah. But also, like, her speech made me cry. It was and a I'm, good speech. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it. I cried. Stop. I have 45 seconds, and I promised Janet Yang I wouldn't do it well because I'm a good girl. I know it looks like I'm standing up here by myself, but I am not. I am hundreds of people. I'm hundreds of people. I am the, where are the Daniels? Daniels, Jonathan, Leyline, the entire crew, my bae Michelle, Key, Steph, the entire art group of artists who made this movie. We just won an Oscar. Um, To my dream team, um, my agent Rick Kurtzman, Alan Wertheimer, Heidi Schaefer, Sean James, Grace Ahn, Jane Ross, we just won an Oscar. To my family, my beautiful husband, Christopher Guest. Our daughters, Annie and Ruby. My sister Kelly, we just won an Oscar. To all of the people who have supported the genre movies that I have made for all these years, the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, we just won an Oscar together! And my mother and my father were both nominated for Oscars in different categories. I just won an Oscar. Gone. I was gone. Yeah, it was was, good. I was off to the damn races. It was good. It was a really poignant moment. 
<laughs> the memory of Twitter is very short, and they did not. They did not. I I don't think they even read it. I don't think they even heard the speech. I think they just saw the the award. We saw Angela, and the takes were flying after that. Yeah, and also like I feel like I'm the wrong person to just say like Jesus fucking Christ Twitter like leave the black woman alone. I mean, I'll say it. I'll say it right now. Like, but like. <laughs> Leave but, her alone. Like, for all we know, she was making that face because her dress was uncomfortable. We just don't know. I mean, Cat, like, I, I will say it. I can, I, I feel comfortable in saying the disappointment in her face was there. And in the same right that people have to stand and applaud Jamie Lee Curtis, she has the equal right to feel upset about it. If she felt it. Yes. So she can feel however she wants and she can act however she wants. If she would have got up and walked out of the auditorium, if she wants to do that, then that's her choice to do. Do you remember the year that everyone thought Michael Keaton was going to win for Birdman, but then it wound up going to Eddie Redmayne? Yes. And they, like, made a huge deal about him, like, sadly, forlornly, like, putting his speech away. And it was like, he just put his speech away because he didn't need it anymore. Like she, she stopped smiling because she did not need to make a positive appearance on camera anymore. She's allowed to be disappointed. She's allowed to be upset. She's also allowed to go, God, fuck. Thank God that's over. Those are all valid. The fact that people are trying to ascribe their feelings to someone else to that degree. For me, the thing that I think really caught me off guard about the whole thing was like how intense people were like, this is how she's feeling. And I was like, I, okay. Here's an interesting kind of tweet and reply that I saw on the TL. So it's a white woman named Sharon. <laughs> uh, she she tweeted a screenshot of Angela the moment that Jamie was announced to win. And she wrote in her original tweet, Bassett is a fantastic actress. A shame she didn't continue performing tonight and applaud when Jamie Lee won. A shame she didn't continue performing is what she said. That's and disgusting. It is, and a reply from at Miss Olerin, M-S-O-L-U-R-I-N. So she says, she said the quiet part out loud. Black women are always expected to perform. I'm glad, I'm glad Angela allowed herself to be a human being in spite of what the withering whites like this one would say. So we, we literally don't know what she was feeling. Yeah. But she's allowed to feel whatever she felt in that moment. Yeah, and I think I think that for me, I was just like, damn. First of all, a bunch of people have the, the bad take of, well, she doesn't feel the way that I want her to feel. Yeah. And then a bunch of other people were aggressively ascribing their feelings to her. Like, obviously, my close personal friend Angela Bassett feels <laughs> this way. In, like, yeah. a way that makes me almost just as itchy. I can admit... People were going really hard. People were going pretty hard. And it was it was kind of I, I understand it. I see the vision, but folks are going like real hard. And yeah. I mean, the, that's really what I want to call out here. It's not really about her. Yeah. It is about how fucking hard people went on the internet about this to the point that I stopped checking Twitter for the night. It just felt gross. It felt gross to be a part of that. Yeah. If you're someone who can understand the nuance of the situation, who can be happy for uh, Jamie Lee and still be sad for Angela and Stephanie, by the way, because if anyone from the movie that should have won it, it should have been Stephanie over her. If you kind of can see all those things, then it's... I I feel fairly strongly that the Oscars should have... And, like, not to make it longer necessarily, but to recognize more good performances. I think that there should be, like, a featured role. So the idea is, like, it's a little less than a supporting, but they do a really great job with what they're given, right? So, like, the guy who played the uncle in The Fablemans, for example, I think is a great example of someone who would, like, if there was a featured category... He would have ate that shit for breakfast because I do think that there are a lot of character actors, especially who get these roles that are a scene, maybe two, but like not a lot in the greater percentage of the film. Yeah. 
that they make a goddamn meal out of. And they're not going to win supporting necessarily, but like they still deserve to be acknowledged. And I think that to me, it makes a lot more sense for a Jamie Lee Curtis in everything, everywhere, all at once style role to be in that like featured area in the Tonys. They use featured instead of supporting because it just covers more space. Right. So the idea is like featured has to have in, in like a musical, for example, like be in at least one song. And I think there's one other parameter. But the idea is that like that way performances that are amazing but small can still be really recognized. And so, I wish the Oscars had something a little bit more like that. And I don't want to call it a cameo because that's not what it is. But like a smaller than supporting, larger than an extra. Speaking of the townies, to the best of my knowledge, they're gender neutral award, right? Like you can just win like best performing and be gender neutral. So they have actor and actress, but they try to align with the person's preferred identity. I believe that they now are doing a best performer category, but I think this would be the first year that they're actually officially doing that. All right. So I was going to ask this anyway, but Jamie Lee actually talked about eliminating genders from uh, awards. So I think it's topical to actually talk about and think about. Do you think there should be a pivot from best actor and best actress to just a standard gender neutral award? Well, my question is then how do you do that? I generally agree that gender neutral awards are probably better in the grand scheme of things, right? However, comma, I don't know how they would be able to elegantly do that without having the number of awards that are handed out every year. Okay. And I feel that there are a lot of good performances that deserve to be acknowledged. Yeah. Also, I know that the Academy are a lot of ists. <laughs> yeah. And I really don't need proof that they're another one. Yeah. Because if the idea is that the women and the men and the other, the he, she's, they's, etc., because it is a beautiful, large tapestry that we weave, are all competing against each other, I don't need more proof that they're homophobic or transphobic <laughs> or queerphobic. I don't need more proof that they're sexist. I don't need more proof that they're racist. Look Let's say you consolidate category. it, right? Now 10 people can be nominated for best performance or best lead performance, let's say. So that means now you're picking between everyone for one slot. That also seems wrong. I'm not saying that there should be gendered stuff to go with it, right? I don't necessarily agree with that. But I do think like the idea of, well, we got rid of uh, all the differentiators. And now every year we pick a straight white man from a pool of men, women, children, others, people who who choose how they identify or know how they identify deep in their souls, like whatever it is, right? I don't want to get into identity politics. Trans lives are human lives. Trans rights are human rights. But like, I don't need confirmation that the Academy is made of old white people like that. Yeah. I mean, if we look at the best director and that's gender neutral and they fuck that up almost every year anyway. So, yeah. So they don't have it. They don't have it said yet. They don't have the capacity for that yet. In maybe one day will. years. Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe, maybe one day they will. One of the things I liked this year was they had the announcer like tell you fun facts about the people while they were like walking to the stage. So I, it was I like, missed that. Oh, I loved it. The Daniels won Best Director, for example. They were like uh, Daniel, the one whose name I can't pronounce, and Daniel Kwan, known collectively as the Daniels, uh, made their debut directing music videos, including Turn Down for What by Lil Jon and DJ Snake. And it just like kept talking until they got there. And then the, the voiceover just went away and the music went down and the speech started. And I was like, you know what? That's actually pretty cool. Thank you for letting me know a little bit more about them. Speaking of the production, I thought it was fairly decent. It hit a lull when they went to straight like technical categories, but I thought they did a pretty decent job for the production. I thought they did the rock dirty lighting him like that, but everyone else was. He literally, (laughs) my dad and I were watching that one together and he's like, that's not the rock. That's not what he looks like. Why is he like look like he's made of football material? And I was like, I, I mean, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, The Rock is getting up there, and he's do, he's he's getting up there, man, and he's doing these action movies. They burn his face, man. Who knows what's going yeah, on? Yeah, but the like Rock. the way they lit him is just like he just looks like gray and heavily textured. 
And like I this, Hugh Grant, this... Hugh Grant has not aged spectacularly. Like he's aged pretty well. I still think he's a pretty cute dude. But like speaking of he, Hugh Grant, he did not look like they lit him deliberately to look bad. No, the rock, the rock suit. I don't think the rock suit helped me. Either. It, he it needed was, to put uh, a little more pink in that thing. Was, that like so almost nice. white pink, that like shell pink was doing him yeah. no favors. Okay, yeah, no, I know everyone thinks Hugh Grant no-sold that interview. I think he was just super fucking out of his element and didn't want to figure out the learning curve. Well, like, hold on. so so I, I tweeted that he, he no-sold his interview, but the Hugh Grant-Ashley Graham red carpet interview was the funniest shit of the night. Hugh Grant, you are a veteran of the Oscars, and you've been here a few times. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about coming to the Oscars? Um... Well, uh, it's fascinating. It's uh, it's uh, uh, the whole of humanity is here. It's uh, it's Vanity Fair. Oh, it's all about Vanity yeah. Fair. Yes, that's where we let loose and have a little bit of fun. Um, what are you most excited to see tonight? To see? Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone? Um, not, not no, no one in particular. Okay, well... What are you wearing tonight, then? Just my suit. Your suit? Who yeah. made your suit? You didn't make it. Um, I can't remember. My tailor. That's okay. Yeah. Ta- shout out to the tailor. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what does it feel like to be in Glass Onion? It was such an amazing film. I really loved it. I love a thriller. How fun is it to shoot something like that? Well, I'm barely in it. I'm in it for about three seconds. Yeah, but yeah. still, you showed up and you had fun, right? Uh, almost. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It was nice to talk to you. Yeah. It was. It was. So it wasn't that he knows Soda. He just didn't have interest in it, and she kept asking questions. Like my favorite one was, "What's? What are you wearing? My suit." Like he didn't give a shit, man. I will also say though that is. Very British of him. It is. You haven't watched Paddington 2 yet, have you? No, I have not, no. Okay, so uh, Paddington 2 is perhaps the best Hugh Grant performance in history. Okay. And every once in a while, when he just doesn't want to deal with shit, it seems like he becomes his Paddington 2 character. Just briefly. Okay. Every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, there he is. I just don't think Ashley Graham was really familiar with this gentleman's work. <laughs> no, and also, like, I think that it might be kind of hard, and I don't mean this insulting-like, but just kind of hard for people to differentiate between every celebrity's sense of humor. Because at the end of the day, they are all also still people. Yeah, yeah. I know that your sense of humor is different than Matthew's sense of humor, is different than Greg's sense of humor. That doesn't mean there aren't overlaps. Yeah. I know that three of the people I speak to the most do not have everything in common in their in their senses of humor. And that's okay. But, like, imagine if you're expected to interview, like, what, let's say 50 people in one night. Yeah. And you're supposed to keep your consistent sense of humor and tone. Like, this is a thing that, like, I don't like Jimmy Fallon particularly, right? But he does a really good job of tailoring his ready-made bits to suit whoever he's talking to. Yeah. And it seemed like a little bit of him just not wanting to deal with it and her not being sure what to do with him. Yeah. (laughs) It just was like a train wreck on a train wreck. And her, she's, she's not like a, she's not like a TV personality, like a journalist. Whenever he was given like the deadpan answers, she was kind of like rolling with it, but you can see like, oh my God, I'm going to box in. Have you seen any of the interviews he's given about the Dungeons and Dragons movie? And here in my notes it says Hugh has always been a lifelong D&D fan. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I think you mixed it up with S&M. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> I've been an enthusiastic dungeon master for some years now. 
That's a that's a British pastime, <laughs> national sport almost. <laughs> I believe that's why the Jonathans thought of me for this. <laughs> My reputation. If you could take any item from the set, which one would you take? You. Well, well you it's a child asking the question. Just keep that in mind. Uh, for many years, I always take home a couple of extras. <laughs> Extra costumes. Yeah. Uh, I've got quite a few now. <laughs> and I, on this one, I've got a couple of very pretty... Extras I'm very, very pleased with. They're in my dungeon now. <laughs> <laughs>
So I really want you to listen to hyphenation. So Daddy doesn't get sad. He really doesn't get sad though because he has me. Oh wait, please listen to hyphenation. Thanks y'all. I love the podcast. So please, please, please try to join. But if you know him. Thank you. Can we hear it now? Now, again, we're going to have to slice through this transition and have to talk about the sixth installment of the Scream franchise. So, Kit Kat Chinetti, I saw this Billy Bob two nights in a row. Major flag on the play. Should not have done that. Yeah, why, <laughs> why did you? I was so questioning if I liked this movie, I had to see it again. And I still don't know if I like this fucking movie. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so it was a movie. It it, it played in the, in the uh, Cineplex. Um, yes. so. so can I can I start with what I liked about it? Absolutely. Yes. The cameras were held good. <laughs> they were in focus. Ghost face. Was sparkly, which is my favorite ghost face. Okay, all right. He's he's a little like shimmery in the first one, and subsequently, like in three, they were like, "That's not threatening." So they like made him matte black and shitty looking, and now he's sparkly again. And I like sparkly ghost face. Let ghost face be flamboyant, you monsters. <laughs> okay, all right. So I like sparkly ghost face. I'm here for that. I like that this one had less Skeetle Rich. I like him fine. <laughs> he just isn't really helping. So I'm glad they used him less. I thought the set and costume design for this was good. Okay. I thought some of the actors were fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. And that is about the end of all the nice things I can say. <laughs> I'll, I'll add one more nice thing. And this is why I'm on the fence of, set, of not going full tilt that I don't like it. I do like the core four. Yeah, they they are the some of the people I mentioned. Yeah. So the, the concept, which has not really happened in horror, where an intact friend group is going across multiple movies that is really new kind of territory and they had an opportunity to really do something special with that and when they inevitably make scream seven that that'd be the the final test for that but what they did in this movie i appreciated even if some of the stuff was a little bit rushed and kind of not ham-fisted but some of their concepts is kind of some of their act not not acting so- but some of their plot didn't make sense to me, and it didn't work to me. But I, I liked really them. I liked the first two thirds. Before I had any idea of what was happening, I thought it was good, and then I realized what was happening. I went, "No!" And then, yeah. uh, well, actually, what I actually did was, went, uh, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so. It's so. I think I told you this. Like when the reveal happened, the wheels fall off, and for a who done it. That's the worst huge problem. That's bad. That's so bad. And and also, can I ask you a question? And I know we've discussed this before, but like this is just a general I've asked all of my friends this question, right? Alright. How weird did you feel when you realized that Richie, who is in his twenties, is dating a high schooler and they say they met online five years ago. So he has been grooming this high schooler since she was in middle school. At least. Best case scenario since she was in middle school. And I did listen back to the five cream episode and he did bring this up. Like, (laughs) so, and I I did notice it when I rewatched this. Um, I watched uh, the screen movies and I rewatched Scream five, like a little bit yesterday. And yeah, man, she's mad girls. the, The thing that weirds me out about it is how little they invest in it considering how much they talk about it. So my thought process is, why include it at all? They don't have to be dating. He can just be a guy that met this girl online and, like, yeah, got and four, her to do whatever he said. Yeah, in a 4chan chat room or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They didn't have to add the romance, but they did. Yeah. And then they don't invest in it, 
which I don't like. So they just kind of were like, he's a pedophile, whatever. Like, <laughs> which is such a weird tone. Yeah. And then, because the secret reveal of this one is that Richie had a loving family who was just one traumatic event away from snapping, but won't acknowledge that he was a pedophile, and this movie does not acknowledge that he was a pedophile. Yeah. Really makes it seem like they should not have included it. Now, also one thing that they do do that I think is interesting is they do retcon all of the kids to be older. Do they? Tara is 16, so that would mean that she would be leaving for her summer semester when she's freshly 17, if it's been the full year, which they say it was. I'll take it word for it. So I I think they aged everybody up a year, in addition to the year that has passed between the movie. I'll take your word for it. I, I didn't notice it when I watched it, but I'll take your word for it. Well, I, I went back and watched Five after and just, like, made some notes about some of the things where I was like, okay. Because I thought Five, they were high school seniors, and then this one, they're, like, college freshmen. They're juniors. They're juniors in high school in Five. I, I did not catch that. Holy shit. All this to say, fine, that doesn't bother me terribly. I just felt the need to, like, acknowledge it. Because my problem with this movie is that Five, I thought, was really meticulously laid detail, right? Yeah. And they did such a good job with the detail that it really feels like of a part with the other films. Even it though, does. like, four is aesthetically and tonally kind of an outlier, and three is kind of an outlier in a different way, but it still kind of lines up with all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And this one just doesn't. Those details, they're gone, baby. <laughs> yeah did you enjoy anything about scream 5 cool Ghostface has a gun now and i was like oh wait did they just make dab eight one that they were making fun of for being bad because Ghostface has a flamethrower now and the mystery doesn't even make sense they just made stab eight yeah and the point of stab eight was that everybody wanted them to remake stab eight because it was bad you are now entering the spoiler zone. First of all, the guy who plays the cop, like the main cop, the detective, he did not deliver one line like a human being in the whole fucking movie. He absolutely did not. <laughs> I was like, well, he's, he's got to be involved considering he talks like this. <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I, I sniffed him out, like, very early in the movie. I, I was, and then okay. I was like, oh, shit, it's Spider from the seminal classic Avatar, colon, The Way of Water. Yeah, he's kind of shifty, and he just, like, way overshared with this group of friends. Well, he's probably the killer. <laughs> oh, and they're not going to kill anyone from the old movie or Gale because they didn't get Sydney back. If they if they got Sydney back, Gale was gonna die, but they didn't, so she didn't. And also because Sydney didn't come back, they're not gonna touch anybody in the core four. Yeah. Because now they're the nostalgia people. Speaking of touching, the way that they treat violence in this movie is very strange. Yeah. I went, I, yeah. I went back and counted how many times Chad got stabbed. I lost count at nine. Yeah. So it's, it's between 9 to 13 times he got stabbed. And not in, like, the arm or, like, the foot. He yeah. got stabbed in his upper torso, chest, heart yeah. area. Very and at strange. least tw- two of them hit the stomach as well. So the beginning tableau happens, right, with Samara weaving. And I'm, like, yeah. immediately clock that the script is a little funky. Just a little bit. <laughs> I'm, yeah. like, ooh, okay. Oh, when he's like, I don't understand how a, a teacher or a professor on slasher movies would be alone in an alley at night. And I was like, that's not how people talk. That's not even how Ghostface talks. And Ghostface is not people. Ghostface is an idea. Ghostface is an idea. Ghostface would be like, didn't you learn anything from watching all those scary movies? Blah! Like, that's what it would have been. <laughs> Ghostface would have been tight and clean. And this guy was just like, words. Yeah. No, no, get out of here. Ghostface, physically awkward, but good talker, right? That's kind of his whole point, right? That's his deal. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, that was pretty bad, but, like, maybe the idea is just he's bad at being Ghostface, so it's over now, right? Okay. 
Okay. No! Matthew was like, Matt, for, for those of you who are, this is your first episode, hi, my name is Kat. My best friend is named Matthew. He often is able to come to press screenings with me as my plus one. He kept track of the number of lines that were like, this is not how people talk. And he counted 48, which is kind of a Jesus lot for a movie Christ. At, at this length. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I so, mean... so, like, in, in the opening, so that happens, right? Then you're like, oh, ha ha. And they, like, do this cool thing with the camera where it almost looks like one continuous shot for him getting back to his dorm. And I was, like, kind of into that, right? I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. We're getting a little impressionistic up in here. And then he's like, she gave me a C on my Fellini paper. And I was like, oh, my God, you were doing a Fellini pastiche. And then yelling about Fellini. Fuck you, movie. And then and then it's like, oh, wait, like, that's not his roommate. Oh, wait, that's not his roommate. Yeah. Oh, well, there goes the interesting part of the movie. <laughs> I thought the mystery was going to be like. I thought he was going to try to infiltrate the core four as this like squirrely guy who had like done a ghost face killing, but then found out his roommate got ghost face killed. Right. I thought he was going to be like the, the thing that got the story started. Right. That yeah. he was going to seek out Sam and Tara after being like freaked out. Yeah. And being like, I think ghost face like killed my roommate. And I was like, all right, I'm in. And then they were like, no, ha ha. Look at his intestines! Isn't this disgusting? We're so gritty and intense now! Ha ha! And I was like, oh. And then the the dismount line of who gives a fuck about films? Like, clearly y'all don't. Clearly, y'all clearly thought not. you had something there. Oh my god! When that, when that line hit, well, it didn't hit when he delivered the line. I was like, I think we're in for a long ride, man. We're like, in for a long ride. And then I was like, okay, so for a really long time, I was holding on to the idea of Ghostface must be someone who is familiar with the Ghostface iconography, right? Yeah. But is trying to divorce that from itself, right? Like, this is just a guy who is a serial killer or whatever, or multiple people who are just serial killers who are using this iconography to make it more difficult for them to be caught. Yeah, and I was like, that's kind of clever for a sixth installment in a franchise, actually, yeah. to have somebody use the mystique and subvert the mystique and lore to make it harder for them to get caught. Yeah. But that would have required, like, effort and intelligence. Thought, and ideas. this movie doesn't have that. So I, I want to touch on a beautiful point and a very poignant point that you made. Ghostface is an idea. And... Even with three and four, three being ultimately unsuccessful, four being a little bit off. You he, you those, dislike three a lot more than I do still. Uh yeah, okay, yeah. But we, we already talked about that. I want to make the point though. So Go. so e even still, even if even if I just say it's it's the worst screen movie, I still think there are things that are effective with it. And the idea of Ghostface I, I think it is effective. Scream 6 gives us the least compelling ghost face of the entire series very easily. And they have no ideas to stand on for the entirety of the film. Yeah. So so one thing that I wrote about 6 is the expository scenes of the franchise films was decent, but it felt like an obligation rather than a true exploration of the horror franchise films. Scream 6 suffers from not having any real ideas to stand on, which is sad because the core four are interesting to cheer for. This is the first Scream film where Ghostface isn't compelled, influenced, or driven by media or film, just purely revenge. And for that, Scream 6 gives us the least compelling Ghostface of the franchise. So imagine if they were trying to do the thing they were trying to parody being done in what? Five in five cream where they're like stab eight is shit because he tried to do something so different. Right. Yeah. Imagine if they had done that. Imagine if they'd made the last Jedi of scream, but actually <laughs> committed to it. Yeah. You know, so the color palette is different. The aesthetics are different. The reveal is different. And like, it has a lot of the similar iconography, but beyond that, it's not really, this one has the opposite of that problem. They think they're doing that, 
I think it's on the, the, the same level as Scream 4, which is the one I like the least. Okay. Because I think that Scream 4 leans on, well, this is what kids today feel without knowing what kids today feel. Yeah. And I think this one does the same thing where it's like, oh, well, like, basically, like, Gen Z don't care about anything unless it's really gritty and dark. Yeah. And, like, like we don't all love YouTube videos of kittens sneezing. Like, <laughs> and there's no redeeming point. If it was, like, I was Richie's film teacher. Hear me out. I know that sounds insane, but hear me out. I was Richie's film film professor, and you killed a genius who had not <laughs> had the opportunity to unleash his mastery on the world. Like, you have robbed us of a great narrative voice. Yeah. That makes more sense to me! Like, <laughs> oh, we don't want everybody to know that our, my, my son was bad. <laughs> what was the point of going to New York? Does, does, uh, and they, they went to fucking Canada, but... They pump this, oh, we're going to take this to the mean streets of NYC. And then literally, they want a subway car, which multiple cities in America have subway cars. They they, they blew it, man. They, they blew it. Maybe I don't like this movie. <laughs> Maybe I just don't like Scream 6, man. Well, so I think the reveal of 3 is the weakest part of 3. However, comma, I do not think that my viewing experience of 3 is ruined by the villain being who the villain is. Yeah. I do not feel that way about six. <laughs> I feel the opposite of that way about six. Okay. Yeah. I feel like the movie works better if they had just gone back to Ghostface's lair and it had been on fire with three Ghostface masks inside. And they're like, well, I guess we'll never know who they were. I would be like. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. When you think about the production schedule of this movie, though, it was announced like two weeks after five did well when we recorded they announced like days later of scream six yeah. so this had a crazy tight turnaround and then they moved it back it wasn't supposed to release until like next week so they made this in a crazy tight turnaround which is impressive i guess mm. except for the fact that it seems like they rushed every aspect of the production well, no, actually. It seems like they really rushed the script. It seems like they did a bunch of coke and wrote the script in a weekend and was like, this is perfect. And then took their time with the rest of production. Because, again, it looks good. It's largely well-performed. I think the scene with Gale and Ghostface is maybe one of my favorite Scream franchise, like, things. Okay. I really love that scene. I love Gale's apartment. <laughs> I, I love that there are bookshelves in every room of her apartment. A writer, love, she should, yes. I love the way that Ghostface rolls up, gets th thrown through a bookshelf, and then he uses the bookshelf to frame himself as he cleans off his blade. I think that's great. Loved watching that. Would watch again. I just don't get it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the Ghostface suck. Like, <laughs> if Ghostface is the face of the franchise... And if the ghost, if your ghost face isn't good, it's just domino effect of, of everything else. I mean, there's almost a part of me, right, that's like, I kind of just wish it was the girl roommate, like the cute redhead. Because her? she got tired of them kind of slut shaming her and just decided to like <laughs> psychologically torture them. That would make too much sense. That Right, but that would be more interesting. <laughs> it really would be. We, it said we got home videos on projected well, screens. Yeah, but like, imagine if it was her, and then she had the same guy as her like little virgin henchman, <laughs> and he's doing all this thinking he's gonna get some. Cause like even Jill and um boy, like he doesn't really necessarily think he's gonna like get some. He doesn't think it's like that, but he's like she understands my like artistic genius. Like, she yeah. understands that I matter. Whereas, like, if this guy was literally just, like, she says we can smash, that's a subversion of that. Yeah. It's a subversion of their pre-established trope set, which would be more interesting than what they decided to give us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I guess, ultimately, Scream 7 is going to come. This is the most successful Scream of the all Scream movies. So, are we really going to watch Scream 7? 
Yes. Because four was bad, but five was good. And three was Ooh. bad, and five was good. But the reason five was good, though, they had... So, even in four, with its creation, it's basically at the baseline of the horror boom, but it doesn't really contribute to it. And so, when Scream 4 didn't do what it was going to do, they did not make uh, Angel Face the the face of five. They just stopped everything. And then 10 years later, we got Scream 5. So, they had an entire decade of the horror boom to think about, to critique, to satirize, and then they made a great movie with Scream 5. But also, we don't know what's going to happen in the next two years that they're going to choose to make fun of. What I want, truly, is I want Scream to not just make fun of elevated horror. I want, like, it's all in black and white. Surprise, this movie is actually a pastiche on the lighthouse. And, like, (laughs) we all just have to deal with it. I mean, can these writers do that, though? That's the real question. Part of what I wonder is how much of this was the writers and how much of this was the studio going, can we get this out in 15 months? I mean, we'll never really know, but that's a good question to ask, man. It's a good question Because if if now they've earned the uh, critical acclaim and also the dollars and cents to say, listen, man, can you just give us some space? Yeah. We might get a better movie. I do also wonder what Kevin Williamson's involvement in this one was. I know in five, like he was just a producer, but I feel like he would have been because it's like resurrecting a franchise a bit more leaned on, and maybe they just took it and ran it with this one. I follow him on Instagram. He was posting left, right, and center about how much he liked this one. <laughs> and apparently, so did Sydney, by the way. So in an interview with the directors, they asked, has she seen it? And they said, yes, and I think she really liked it. And then, like, the Nev Campbell firm was like, Nev thinks that Scream 6 is an artful continuation of a movie franchise she holds very dear. (laughs) And they could have said nothing, and that would have not taken away from their point. I mean... She should have trying to negotiate that Scream 7 contract, so I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Okay, so here's, here's what he says. I love Scream 6. It's really good. It's great. There's no way around it. I'm very happy with how it turned out. I really do have that enthusiasm for this, and I'm so very excited. That's what Kevin Williamson said about the movie. I don't know, man. We, we got to get Dawson's Creek back in the mix, man. We got to get fucking james vanderbeek is ghost facing in scream seven gotta bring gotta bring nev back so <laughs> bring can, Stu is back. now is now a good time to talk about my vision for scream seven now i mean this is gonna be the dismount go for it tara snaps not sam tara tara um, is tired of running she doesn't want to be on the run for the rest of her life she wants to make somebody else run for a change are they going to be the justifiable homicide twins like, I, no, I don't want I don't want Sam involved. I mean, she 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 had no choice. We got no choice. Here's the thing, right? Because Richie Richie's family was trying to subvert the fact that horror movies assume that murder is hereditary by proving that murder is hereditary, right? <laughs> so they've done that now. If they do that again, it's dumb. They can't. They have now pushed Sam out, at least for the immediate sequel. They can't. Then they'd be telling the same story a second time. Specifically, that murder is passed down through the paternal gene. If Scream 7 turns out to be, what if she was in a situation with with young Chad? What if it was kind of a, you know, they had a fight. She kills Chad. She, She kills the other twin. Sam's got to stop her, but she doesn't know how. She reaches out to Nev. Dude, I want one thing to happen. Maybe it's the frat guy again. Maybe maybe we watch something like that happen again. And she just goodbye Earl's his ass. <sighs> and then realizes that she feels like she's in control for the first time in her life. Okay, yeah. And she just really fucking goes for it. She doesn't have to be good. Sure, maybe there could be a believable ghost face someday. Maybe they decide to do the idea that Tara or uh, Sam takes the fall for Tara. 
you know, and, and she pretends to be Ghostface so Tara can get away. Whatever. Fine. Great. <laughs> like Batman and Dark Knight. Yeah, I think I it makes it. a lot more sense for the core four to help one of their own get away with it. Get away with murder. Makes yeah. Sense. Oh, also the, one other thing. Sorry. This is just the murderers in this one were also a little too scream too, where they were like, surprise. Richie had a father. Surprise. Billy had a mother. Hilarious. I mean, at least this time he didn't hire. They didn't hire the teens from the Internet. That was the last one. <laughs> Hilarious. It doesn't feel like they are doing a pastiche on Scream 2 because that would imply that they had something like interesting to do with it. It's, it's full on cloppy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? What if they ha- actually had Stu as the killer? And I, I noticed they put that troll in the movie. But what if Stu was the fucking killer? I That may have been better than the shit that we got. I mean, part of me feels like it's kind of too late for that now. I feel like they they had they 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 blew the stew load by not using it. I mean, they totally did. I totally did. I don't even know if I want it anymore. So to you, Scream Three is the worst Scream. I think it's tied with Four. It's competently made, but not appealing to me. And Scream Six would then be that that bronze medal. For last. Yeah, but it's like a distant bronze. It's like, man, it sure did start running when the gun went off, but it didn't finish the race. <laughs> okay. It, it finished like 25 minutes after everyone else, and considering it was only running a mile, that's pretty bad. So, what's what's your favorite scream then? Scream. 96 or five cream. 96. Scream, Scream 2, Scream 2022, Scream 3, Scream 4, Scream 6. Oh, you like Scream 2 better. I Oh, I I thought you would have liked last year's better than Scream 2. No, I, I really like Scream 2. It's got a lot of, like, weird texture issues, I would say. But I think that it tells a fairly compelling story. I think all of the side characters are good, and I care about them, even when they die immediately. I like Dweeby Derek. I think Timothy Oliphant is great. (laughs) Hilarious. I even don't hate the Debbie Salt character because at least she comes in and tells us something about her son. Debbie Salt's my favorite ghost face. Really? Yep. And it's not Stu, which is very surprising. Yeah, that's what threw me for a loop. I don't. Oh, God. Who is my favorite? Cats in deep thought. Am right I, I going to just be like, it's Roman Bridger? Uh, no, but. Uh, if that would be a fucking choice. <laughs> I mean, if they leaned into his story more, I think it could have been more interesting, but they didn't. And that's fine. I think that's why Debbie Salt is my favorite Ghostface because I love Stu. I love the character Stu. I love Stu when he, when he turned Ghostface. But the reason he's not my favorite is because, I mean, Ultimately, he's he's manipulated by Billy. That's yeah. kind of what it feels. Um, but Debbie, I, she's De- running the show. Debbie is the mastermind, yes. And obviously, like every like, well, not obviously, but the young men ghost face. They're all in tune with you know film and horror and wanted to do this kind of like extra shit with it. But Debbie's literally like, "You killed my son. I don't give a shit what he did. That is still my son." I need to avenge my son. And um, and she did clearly like watch a couple of those pictures Billy was always telling her about. Like yeah. she does she does drop a couple little nuggets of wisdom that tells me like oh she like watched his his movies with him and even though she didn't like them she knew yeah. they meant a lot to her kid. I think I I think this is probably very uninspired of me but I think I, I Billy is my Billy's great. My number one. I do have to say though I really like Richie, but I also believe that there is no Richie without Billy. <laughs> but also, just the way he yells, holy shit, it's Ghostface! Ghost like, yeah. that is my favorite Ghostface line. I mean, like, that's, like, that's selling it until the turn, as anyone has ever sold it. Yeah, I think Billy, I'm more interested in as, like, a complex character with feelings and stuff. And his, like, fucked up vision. And I also like the way they continue to use him. 
Like, he was yeah. kind of heavy-handed in five. I think they used him just the right amount here. Mm-hmm. Good, great. Thumbs up. But I think that Richie is my favorite talker. <laughs> I think Stu's my favorite talker. But that's just because he's fucking. He's a fucking wild boy. He is. Because Stu doesn't, like, play, like, meek little shit piss baby. Stu's, like, still kind of like, oh, I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> and, like. Richie's just like, hey, girl, you're my boner pills. He does not care yeah. about trying to be cool at all because he still thinks he's going to win. And that's a different type of arrogance. It speaks a lot less to insecurity that I think is a really interesting dynamic for a character that I wish they had, you know, spent two more minutes exploring that instead of him being like, by the way, I fuck a 15 year old who's maybe now a 17 year old, but it's still kind of messed up. Yeah. Oh, actually, so. I know the original Scream and Scream 2 where they did a bit of weird retconning like you're saying. They were juniors in high school and then even though Scream is sec- Scream 2 is technically a year after in the universe itself it's two years. So so I guess they, they did the same thing but it was more apparent in the original 1 and 2 than it, than it was in this one. So Yeah. And again, they they, know, man. they even told you in the beginning of, of this one that they were going to copy Scream 2. And they just flat out did. So and and they did a worse job. A much worse job. A much worse job. I'm not going to spend money in theaters for this a third time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it one more time and then officially give it one more review and one more either heart or not heart. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate us five stars, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow cat at cat underscore chin at t on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at show and madlove, S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V, on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production.